Hey guys, it's Heaven from Just a Grown True Crime, and today I'm going to be telling you about this app called Anchor. It helped me start my podcast, and it can help you start yours. Anchor is a free app that lets you use it from your phone or your computer. So if you want to do it on the go, and you want to just record, you can record one. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so much more to get your own podcast out there. You can make money from your own podcast with no minimum listenership. So it's everything you want in just one podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I did. What are you waiting for? Hey guys, welcome back to Just a Girl in True Crime. I'm your host, Heaven. And I know I said I was going to talk about a four-year-old, but that case is so brutal. Um, Maybe I'll do it in the future. Kid cases really gets me being a mom and all, and I really hate doing them. I hated doing the Gabriel Fernandez story. I hated doing the Casey Anthony story. You know, the Kyron Horman story. They were just very sad. So I decided instead we are going to go to Australia and the case we're going to talk about is Catherine Knight and if you don't know who she is, you are in for a treat. Um, She was the first woman in Australia to receive a life sentence without the possibility of parole and we're going to explain why she has that sentence if anybody who doesn't know that case. So strap in, guys, because this is a this is a buzzkill. All right, so let's talk about her childhood. So Catherine Knight was born on October twenty fourth in nineteen fifty five in Tenderfield, Australia, and Catherine was the product of a scandalous affair between her mother Barbara, Barbara and her father Ken Knight. Barbara was not only already a mother of four boys with other men, but she had she even met um Ken through her husband. <laughs> and when their secret um came to light, it rocked their small conservative town. Alright. Following this um, Catherine's chaotic childhood didn't get much better from there. If you heard that, that was my ice maker. And if you hear talking, that's my husband up because he's playing his game with his friends. Anyway, her father was a violent alcoholic who raped her mother multiple times a day. And Catherine herself claims that she was sexually assaulted by several family members until the age of 11. Ooh, that's rough. In school, Catherine was known to be a bully who terrorized smaller children. Without ever learning how to read or write, she quit at the age of 15 to work at a clothing factory. A year later, she landed her dream job. Yep. She worked in fashion. No, she did not work in fashion. Um, she actually got a job at the slaughterhouse, cutting out the internal organs of animals. Journalist Peter 
Latter wrote in Blood Satin his true his true crime book that covered Catherine Knight that she loved her job so much that she hung her first set of butcher knives over her bed just in case she needed them, you know. So normal. We all have knives hanging around our bed, don't we? I don't. And if you do, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, Hey, you do you. And, you know, she eventually did that. First comes love. Then comes attempted murder. While working at, while working in the butcher shop, Catherine actually met a man named David Pell. Pellet, a raging alcoholic, much like her father, who was prone to fistfights, used used to this kind of violence. Catherine surprised him one day when she joined in on one of his drunken scuffles. He soon realized, however, that Knight was capable of doing more than a little damage with her fist, long before he found himself being dominated by her. In 1974, she convinced him to actually marry her. He was heavily intoxicated the entire time, and her mother even warned him about her daughter's temper, saying that Catherine had a screw loose somewhere. Um, I don't know about you guys, but that's one way to, you know, start your wedding with a bang, you know, being completely wasted. He probably didn't remember any of it e- anyway because he was drunk. <clears throat> and on their wedding night, Catherine and David, you know, consummated their marriage three times. When he fell asleep, Catherine wanted to go for a fourth round and took issue with her new husband's exhaustion. So, she did what any other person would do. She started to strangle him. David woke up and he actually managed to fight Catherine off, even though she attempted to kill him only one day into their marriage. The union, or marriage, actually lasted for more than 10 years. I just, David, I just have to know why you stayed so long. I mean, was the sex enjoyable for you? Like, I mean, what makes you stay in that type of crazy marriage for 10 years? But the marriage was, however, far from perfect, obviously. David was also unfaithful and once even left his wife and their two daughters in the middle of the night. After discovering one of David's affairs, Catherine placed their two-month-old infant on the local train track shortly before a train was due. Um, The train actually didn't come, and luckily the infant survived. So that's that's a plus. And also threatened several people with a stolen axe. She was also diagnosed with postnatal depression after witnesses saw her violently pushing and swinging her second child in a stroller down a busy street. She spent a few months in a psychiatric hospital where she told nurses that she intended 
to kill a mechanic who fixed David's car because that made it possible for him to leave her. Despite this threat, David took Catherine back when she was released from the hospital. Their reunion didn't last long, though, and Knight thought, and I'm sorry, and Knight went through a period of deep distress after David finally did leave her. In 1986, shortly after their, her breakup with David, Catherine jumped into a whirlwind romance with a man named David Sanders, a local miner. Within a few months, David Sanders moved in with her and her two daughters. However, he did keep his apartment, and Catherine became incredibly jealous and very suspicious about what he did when she wasn't around. Like her previous relationships, this one grew toxic and violent. At one point, this is going to be a trigger warning because it has something to do with a dog. At one point, she slit the throat of his two-month-old puppy, two-month-old dingo puppy in front of him just to show him what she was capable of. David Sanders, Sanders, I think it's Sanders, um, run for the hills. Still, even after that, though, they did stay together and they eventually had a daughter a year later. However, David S., that's who we're going to refer to him as, left Catherine shortly after the birth because she had attempted to kill him with a pair of scissors. She then met a man named John Chillingworth. They stayed together for three years, and then they had a child, and his name was Eric. That was Catherine's first son. While no violent incidents have been reported about the relationship, it ended after John learned that Catherine was having an affair with a man named John Price. So Catherine is really stuck on men named David and John. In the beginning of Catherine and John, Price's relationship was without complications. He had two older children who lived with him and he seemed to like Catherine, and he made enough money as a minor to keep her comfortable. They eventually moved in together in 1995, and things were going smoothly. However, when she suggested they marry, he declined, and that's when she turned violent. Knight framed Price for stealing things from his company, and he a she actually got him fired. Though he initially kicked her out, a few months later, they started seeing each other again. Oof. Man. I just want to know, like, what these men saw in her because she was very violent. However, this time he refused to let her move back in. According to their friends and neighbors, Catherine's violence began to escalate. In February of 2000, an argument between John and Catherine um, happened, and it went from, you know, just arguing to her attempting to stab him in the chest. He then took out a restraining order against her in order to keep his children safe. Toward the end of the month, John did let on that he was very concerned for his safety. 
And he told his co-workers that if he ever went missing, it was because Catherine killed him. And he was right to be very afraid. On February 29th in 2000, John came home from work and he followed his usual routine of checking in with the neighbors before going to bed at 11 p.m. Catherine came home shortly after. She made herself dinner, watched TV, showered, and then she went back upstairs. She woke John up and the two had sex and then he went back to bed. Then Catherine took a butcher knife from from next to her bed where she always kept them, and she ended up stabbing him 37 times. According to evidence, he woke up during the attack but could not fight her off. He tried to escape, and he tried to take care of his, you know, wounds and stuff, but Catherine eventually dragged his body downstairs. She skinned him and hung his body from a meat hook in the living room, Then she decapitated him and cut him up in pieces, like, of his body, not everything. She put them into a dish with potato, pumpkin, beets, zucchini, cabbage, squash, and gravy. She then made a dish for herself, though the half-discarded contents later found at the crime scene scene suggest that she couldn't finish her meal. She then laid down next to the headless, mutilated corpse of John Price, took a large number of pills, and she just passed out. John's co-workers heeded his warning the next morning, and they called the police after he didn't show up for his shift. The police arrived to find Catherine, Catherine's um, gruesome crime scene and immediately detained the comatose Catherine. Once she woke up, she claimed to have no memory of the night that happened before. She she was like, what? In the kitchen, police found John's head boiling in a pot of vegetables on the stove. On the table, they found two full plates, each labeled with a name. In horror, the police realized that Catherine had planned to serve John Price's body parts to his children. Despite her claims that she had no recollections of the night John died, Catherine was quickly charged with his murder, though. Because she she did it, guys. In October of 2001, her, her trial started, but, you know, it didn't really get far. For reasons that remain unclear, Catherine actually changed her plea to guilty, and the judge adjourned the case without testimony. Maybe her lawyer said something to her like, Catherine, you know, this isn't looking good for you. Just plead guilty because we know you're guilty, okay? We can't talk out. We can't get you out of this. We know you did it. You know you did it. She was escorted to prison that day, and the judge ordered that her papers be marked never to be released. For the first time in history, a woman in Australia was given a life sentence without parole. To this day, Knight Netherless maintains her innocence and refuses to accept any responsibilities for her actions. 
Catherine Knight has appealed her sentence before and was denied almost immediately. She is still serving her life sentence at Silverwater Women's Correctional Center. And guys, um, you know, that's Catherine Knight. Um, let me see if I can um find out how she is now. I think she's like um I think she's like a good I think she's known as like a nanny. Or, like, the grandma of prison. She has, like, really good, um, she's good in prison. She gets along with everybody. Crazy. Oh, yep, okay. So. Yeah, okay, so she's known to other inmates as Nana. The white-haired lady that, with the smile and eyes twinkling behind a woolish, behind woolish glasses, is the perpetrator of the one of one of the most diabolical murders in the nation's history. She was branded as, you know, an evil monster. But in prison, however, the first woman killer to be given a life sentence like she is um, is also seen as a leader by other girls, themselves convicted murderers, baby killers, and drug dealers. That's kind of weird. Okay, so in the 17 years since she was taken into custody, Catherine has found religion. And like I say in my podcast before, don't they all find religion? Um, she also paints and knits and acts as Queen Bee, sorting out disputes among prisoners. <laughs> what? But the, prison, but the prison officers never take their eyes off of her. She's not allowed near knives and she even told one of the phelps informants that she can't have a cellmate in case she kills again which that's understandable i wonder where her children are hmm. oh phelps that guy i was talking about um He's compelling books. Uh, Phelps compelling book. Green is the new black. Paints a picture of a of the cannibal behind bars. So you know, instead of orange is the new black, it's green is the new black. And orange is the new black is such a good series. And uh, so is Wentworth. If you guys haven't watched that on Netflix, that those are pretty good. All right, so let's see. Let's talk about her job in prison. This is a following that is um, from Green is the New Black by James Phelps. And then it has comma penguin. So a typical day for Catherine starts at 7 a.m. every morning. I'm just trying to like read a little bit more because I didn't want this too, too short. 
Um, so when she wakes up, she goes to one of her tedious jobs in prison. She makes headphones. She says this person whose name I can't pronounce, and I don't want to get in trouble for people going, she can't pronounce simple words. Um, it's a last name. My last name is Holtzapple, and you won't believe how many people mispronounce my name. Last name. And my first name. My first name's Heaven. And people call me Haven. And I'm like, what? So she makes headphones and they say that's her job. She's stuck in a factory every day from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. making headphones on a big, loud machine. But Knight is said to be one of the best workers in the headphone factory and commands the top wage. She gets through more work than anyone. She also enjoys her job and takes pride in what she does. Four guards flank her. They watch her every move and are with her every day. After she finishes her day at the headphone factory, she eats lunch before retiring back to her cell. Her cell is the same size as every other cell in the wing. It's a one-out, single-person corner cell at the end of the wing. She has a bed closed and a centerpiece in her room is is a big old table that she uses for making art and she also sits at the table to write letters. Um, Night in prison is actually described as a hoarder whose cell is full of knitting, knickknacks, and art. Her room is cluttered her room is very cluttered, said this. I'm going to try to pronounce it. Sheenbury? Sheenbury, said. And they said, she has shit everywhere. She has been there for a long time. And it was like she liked keeping everything she had been given. Not many people go into her room. She keeps it very private. Um, this person was only in there once to help her lift something that she couldn't lift on her own. It was her private space. You know, she knits and she has heaps of blankets and things that she's made. There's wool piled everywhere. Just lots of knitting things. She has tried to make it as homely and warm as possible. And, you know, she's going to be there until she dies. So she has to make it her home, a place she feels comfortable in. Knight is also a, you know, prison artist. She has become a skilled painter, and she raises money for the prison by selling her works. Um, Sheen Bree said she's an incredible artist as well. But she never signs anything she does, and she never will. She doesn't want anyone to know making money she doesn't want anyone making money off of her name because she killed somebody, which, smart. So, no friends visits. She doesn't want some, some sick person buying her art because they think that what she did was cool. The thought of someone hanging something on their wall just because she's a killer repulses her. She's amazed with the pencil, paint, and also pottery. A lot of her pottery is actually on display at the foyer in Nawala. She has also allowed them to sell it a lot to raise money for charity and the jail. 
without her signature, like I said. Um, Catherine actually has little love for her outside of prison. Her family and her friends have abandoned her. They've never saw her answer her phone, says she and Bree. I think all of her friends have wiped her out. I don't think she has anybody on the outside. I would say she has zero contact with the outside. Everyone would be on the phone every day speaking to people outside, but I never saw Catherine. It's quite sad. The Nana. So, like I said, she is the Nana in the prison. She's arguably the most popular inmate in prison, and she's also a peacemaker. They call her Nana. She is a gentle soul and not a criminal to me. She's a mediator at Malula. Um, and like I said, she also sorts people's problems out before they get serious. And what she would do is when she sees like serious things happen, she would pull the girls in and she would try to get them to sort out whatever it was before um, someone would end up going into segro, so segregation, or getting more time added to their sentence. She would stop girls from stealing from each other. She'd stop girls from fighting. But she never did it by standing over anybody. She never raised hands to anyone. She was someone who everybody loved. Um, Catherine is also the prison's event planner. She organizes a big catch-up every Friday. So I guess that's like a party. I guess that's what they call it in Australia. I'm not sure. She organizes all the food and makes sure that everyone in the wing is a part of it. That's kind of nice. She includes every single person, even those even those she doesn't really like. <laughs> she does it to bring everyone together. It stops a lot of problems from happening, which I can see because, you know, if you hear, oh, Catherine invited me to this catch-up, and then, you know, someone says, oh, well, I didn't get invited. How did you? I mean, that makes sense. An active, an active officer actually labeled Catherine as a prison boss. She's the top boss of the jail. The officer said she takes no crap from anyone and absolutely gives it to the guards. Okay, I get that. If you come and search her cell, she will stand in front of you with a smug face and scream at you. She will demand you watch. She will demand to watch you while you search her cell, and she will not leave the area. No, I'm not effing staying here, she'll scream. You have to use force to get rid of her, so we just leave her there and let her watch. It isn't worth the hassle, and every time you pick something up, she'll be like, what are you touching that for? The officer describes Catherine's relationship with her fellow inmates. She's their um, confidant. That's not right. She's the person they go to. They will go up and they will talk to her and ask permission for whatever it is they want to do. She knows everything that goes into the jail and whatever she says goes. So she's like the eyes and the ears of the prison. An officer explained that Catherine is not your typical prison boss. She did not gain her position of authority by way of intimidation and violence. You know, 
You never raised your hands in prison, like we've said. Um, the officer did not once. I. They also say I think she has a lot. She has that level of respect because of her crime. Which, yeah, you, you skinned your husband, Catherine, and decapitated him, and then wanted to feed him to your, to the family. I would play nice too. And they say it's also because she was so brutal. She has a lot of respect in the inmate population, that's for sure. They simply do not fuck around with her, and that's a fact. Most of the other um, TVs get respect for being tough. Other crims, criminals fear them. But Knight doesn't really have a um, record of violence while in jail. I would actually say that she hasn't hasn't even had a single jail charge since she's been inside. Even the guards respect her a bit. She's the boss, put it that way. She would be the boss of any pod, which is what they call the cells in prison. And I only knew that from reading the Chris Watts book. So the house section um, is called in her. She's housed in a section called the Willet. She's a category four inmate, the highest in the worst category. A prisoner can be assigned and will always be there. So she can never leave, obviously. She's classified as high risk. She will never go to a place like Emu Plains where she can see trees or walk in a field. She can never have a job mowing lawns where she can leave the jail. She will always be locked in a factory because everyone thinks she's a heartless, callous monster. But she has emotions. I've seen them. I've seen her cry. She is no monster. But she will always be caged like one. Who? Wow. That is crazy. All right. So, guys, that was Catherine Knight. And everything like that. We didn't do a urban legend um, tonight because I didn't look at any yet. Um, kind of want to get back into a little bit of murder. Um, actually, after when I get off this, I might pre-record a Urban Legend so I can upload it and everything. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. You can follow me on Instagram at Just a Grown True Crime. That I suck at uploading because it slips my mind. You can send me a Gmail at Just a Grown True Crime. You can also follow our Facebook page at Just a Grown True Crime. I had a couple people like it, so thank you so much. I'm not going to mention your names because I don't know if you want them to be mentioned, which is fine. Um, what else? Oh, you can follow my YouTube at Just a Grown True Crime. And you can leave a review, um, nice or bad, whatever you prefer. I decided that I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to stop podcasting because it's what I love to do. Um, so the people who just, you know, negative hate and comment bad, you're trolls. Like I said before, it's easier to comment behind a screen. So I get that. And I'm just going to keep doing what I love because... I worked so hard to get to where I was, 
and how much effort and time I've put into my podcast that I'm very proud of. My family's very, I guess my family's very proud of, I don't know. When I talk to my husband, he kind of just rolls his eyes about it. So, um, but I mean, they support it. My coworkers support it. So I have people standing behind me and I'm just not going to let some people just, you know, comment because they want to be a negative Sally, Karen, Timmy, Jonathan, whatever, whatever you want to call yourself. I'm not going to let it get to me. Because I think that if I only had two bad reviews out of all the people that I have listening to me then I find that's my odds are good than just do negative comments and stuff like that so I'm just gonna keep doing it and you can't please everybody in the world and I realized that I mean it is what it is I guess you can't make everybody happy um like I said I'm sorry mainly Australia, if I butchered any of the names, last names, prison, I, that prison name and everything, so sorry, it's definitely hard to do that, but, you know, I'm working on it, but I think that's it for my rant, guys, I really hope you guys keep listening, thank you all so much for your love and support, the ones who have supported me and everything like that you guys are all amazing and I really really hope we can get this podcast to grow um I'm thinking real quick I think I'm gonna start a patreon and stuff like that and just put some exclusive content for people who want to subscribe to the patreon where it'll only obviously be for patreons who subscribe to it we all know how that works we're not going to go into much detail but i've been thinking about it and maybe doing that and guys that that's catherine knight that's my rant or whatever you want to call it and i hope you have a good night and and i hope you enjoyed this episode and i'll talk to you guys saturday well it'll be pre-recorded so I'm actually going to pre-record either after this one or maybe tomorrow because I got to go to work tomorrow. So thanks, guys.